looking at <clears throat> Isaiah 52, verses 1 through 12 today. But before we do that, let me just explain or, or continue this theme. And let me ask you this question. How would you characterize the difference between being blessed and being spoiled since, uh, since the question has already been posed? I would pro propose to you that one difference is that someone who is blessed looks through the blessings to behold the God. Someone who is spoiled is blinded to the God by the blessings. The blessings become so abundant and they become so distracting that we can no longer see the God who has granted them from the overflow of his grace. This month, we get to celebrate the 500th anniversary of the, what we call the Protestant Reformation. The Reformation, we say, that we celebrate it. But we must be very, very careful. There's much blessing that has come to us by virtue of the Reformation. But we have to be really careful that we do not celebrate our identity as Protestants, nor the Reformation, so much that we lose sight of the God who reigns. Brothers and sisters, that is what we celebrate. For those of you who may not know, and you may be wondering, why all the talk about Covenant College? Well, partly because we are a denomination called the PCA, and Covenant College is our denominational college, but partly because of this. And, well, and today is, as in our denomination, we have designated as Covenant College Sunday so that we can give thanks to God whose supreme reign today in this place, in this time, is evidenced through the work of Covenant College, which is why Covenant College has chosen this passage to be in everyone's mind whenever they see that building on top of the mountain. No, it is not a convent. Speaking of Jesus, whenever we see that building, this is what we need to be reminded of. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, 
making peace by the blood of his cross. I'm a product of Covenant College, much to their chagrin. And so I'm very thankful for it. But brothers and sisters, if we look at that building and say, what a great college, then we've become idolaters. If we do not look at that building and say, what a great God, then we are idolaters. That is why we celebrate the glory of God's continuing work at Covenant College. You will, re- you will understand why I start that way as we get into our passage. Isaiah chapter 52. Isaiah, you remember, is written to a people that we have already been reminded this morning. A people who once were blessed and have now, because of the abundance of God's steadfast faithfulness, have lost sight of God and been consumed by the blessing or, in the days of Isaiah, the threat that those blessings might be removed. Because, as Isaiah says, as Isaiah says, his ministry began in the days that King Uzziah died. That was the season that next to the season of Solomon was the most abundant and the most peaceful and the most um, stable of Israel's history, and now he's dead. What's going to happen to all the things that we've come to expect and count on? Isaiah wants them to know, well, nothing will happen to those things because they are rooted in the steadfast love of the Lord. And so we're in the second half of Isaiah's ministry in which, having demonstrated to Israel, Israel's own uh, spoiled, to use that language again, faithlessness, he is now proclaiming the abundance of God's steadfast faithfulness by which we receive comfort two, three, many times over. Isaiah chapter 52 Verses 1 through 7. Awake! Awake! Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem. The holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust. Shake from yourself. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you are sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing, their rulers Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know it is I who speak. Here I am. 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. So depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste. And you shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Brothers and sisters, written many, many, many years ago, but this is the good news of our God, whose steadfast love endures forever, yesterday, today, and forever. So let us go to him and ask him to grant us ears to hear and eyes to see his glory. And so, Father, we do pray, together with Paul, that you would indeed strengthen us in our inner being, that we may know with greater clarity, greater depth, and greater astonishment the wonders of your great love for a fickle and frail and foolish people such as Israel, and such as us. May we rightly hear and might rightly rejoice. For we pray it as your children coming to you in Jesus. Amen. Verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Good news. We love good news, especially in a world of bad news headlines. One of the pieces of good news that we in this church receive regularly, it seems almost daily for the last 14 years, is the baby has arrived safely. And another one. And another one. Sometimes we hear the good news that I got a raise. Sometimes I got a promotion. Sometimes I got a job. Sometimes the headache is gone. Or I was accepted at the college of my dreams. My baby's coming home. She said yes. He finally asked. Not that anybody asked me to hint at anything. We're debt free. You guys know you can come up with the declarations of good news that you like to hear. In a world of bad news headlines, we crave feel-good news. Hence all the cat videos that inundate YouTube and Facebook. Except for I have carefully deleted all of the people who post cat videos from my Facebook feed. Amen. 
and dog videos and rat videos and snake videos. Hence all the anger and frustration. Have you, I don't know if you saw these, these news, this part of the news. All the anger and frustration at the kneeling protests at NFL games. So the news went up and they started to interview people on the street. And they're angry. I work hard all week. I want to come to a game and leave all that stress behind. And I kind of chuckled when I heard that because that's what I hear at church. <laughs> I've had a hard week. I come to church to feel good. It's supposed to be a happy place. Safe place. Sometimes, however, what we think of as good news isn't always good. And what we think of as bad news isn't always bad. For example, some of you may have heard this story, but I have a friend who goes to the doctor every year for an annual checkup. And several years ago, came in to me after his checkup, and I said, hey, how did it go? I know you had the doctor's appointment. How did it go? Oh, he said, I got horrible news. I said, oh, no. What happened? He goes, oh, the doctor said everything was fine. Uh-huh. Think about it. Think about it for a moment. Good health is good, right? So if the doctor says everything is fine, that's good news, right? Isn't good health a part of what we think of when we think of comprehensive human flourishing? It's part of the good life. For heaven's sake, why in God's name would a doctor's report of good health be described as bad news. And some of you are so shocked that I said, for heaven's sake and in God's name, but that's the hint. The hint is in that emotional exclamation, heaven's sake and God's name. What if there was more to life than my personal peace and affluence and comfort and security and my children's safety? I know, it's hard to believe that there might be more to life than that. But what if there were? What if there was more to comprehensive human flourishing than my petty desires can imagine? What if my good life is in fact not about my life? What if it's not about me? Sometimes what we grasp to as good is less than good. And so hinders us from full and perfect goodness. And sometimes what we dismiss as bad is actually something which seeks to remove from us a lesser good to replace it with something that is very good. I've got 
good news for you today. I've got good news for you today. It's not about you. And that's good news. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your personal peace. It's not about your safety. It's not about your security. It's not about the safety and security of your children. Your life isn't about you. Your job is not about you. Your marriage is not about you. Your status and your success in this world is not about you. Your failures in this world are not necessarily about you. Your racial identity, your political affiliation, your lifestyle choices is not about you. It's not about you. I have to take my glasses off, but now I can't see my notes. Forgive me, but that's all right. It's not about me. You're not as great as you may imagine yourself to be. You're not as wise or as strong as you might have imagined yourself to be. You're not as far gone as you secretly allow yourself to believe in the wee hours of the morning. Our passage is about this good news. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The good news here to Israel is, it's not about you. It's not about your faithfulness, not about your faithlessness. It's not about you. It's good news of peace, good news of happiness, good news of salvation. That word there for peace is the word I've been referencing in this expression because it means comprehensive human flourishing. It doesn't just mean the absence of strife. It means positively comprehensive human flourishing. It means to be a man or a woman or a child who in feelings and desires and orientations and thoughts and speech and action are flourishing. And not just individually, but in deeply satisfying human relationships. Human relationships that are deeply satisfying that, as we say, click. And it's not just the relationships that click, it's just it's all relationships clicking well is what is in view in comprehensive fl human flourishing. Relationships between men and women, between parents and children, between employers and employees, between the leaders and the led, between the shepherds and the sheep, between neighbors and strangers and enemies, between the least, the lost, and the lonely. All of these clicking and flourishing is individuals in relationship with all of these without fear, without hurt, without betrayal, without injury, without animosity, without tears. That's comprehensive human flourishing. And that's what's in view here when he says, I bring you good news of peace and bring you good news also of salvation. Excuse me, of happiness. 
the language there, another word for that would be good. Good news of goodness. Good news of good. Of very good. So you imagine, of course, you already are hearing the echoes of Genesis chapter 1. It was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. It was very good. The world appeared by God's word exactly as he intended it. Goodness. The world and its people and life in it functioning precisely and perfectly and flourishingly according to God's intent and design. That's the language of happiness. That's what the Bible means when it uses the language of happiness. Not according to my design, not according to my desires, but according to his desires. This language there of salvation is rescue from all that hinders this good life of comprehensive human flourishing. Wow! What kind of news could accomplish all of that? What kind of news would be so good that we actually fall down and kiss the feet of the person who proclaims it? Wow, that is some beautiful feet you got there. And so you look in the next verses, the voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice and together they sing for joy. They see the messenger coming over the horizon. And they shout for joy. Good news! The messenger comes. They see it with their eyes and so they break forth into singing. They run the, run the perimeter of the wall saying, He comes! He comes! Good news! What kind of news is such a messenger bringing? The mere announcement of which causes such rejoicing on the walls and within the walls of Jerusalem. What kind of news is it? Verse 7. Your God reigns. And that's where we're going to camp. So many of us conceive of God as good but distant and uninvolved, who wants us to do all the right things. Who says, do this and don't do that. Some of us think that his primary purpose is our being happy and feeling good about things. On our terms, as we define it. Religion, so we think, is about getting what we want to make or keep us happy. So many of us are in the habit of coming to church because it's central to our strategy for getting what we want and keeping ourselves and our families happy. But I have good news for you. God is not our life coach. 
God is not our chaplain. He is not our cheerleader. He is not our concierge. As Colin Hansen writes in a recent essay, God is not a cosmic butler. No. Isaiah wants us to know your God reigns. The question for us is will we let God be God? On his terms and not on our terms. Will we let God reign over our marriage on his terms and not on his not on our terms? Will we let God reign over our kids on his terms, not on our terms? Will we let God reign over our careers on his terms, not on our terms? Will we let God write the story of his world and us in it on his terms? Not on our terms. Look at that. Your God reigns. Let's work backwards. What in the world does that mean? Your God reigns. He is the king. He is the one who, who rules over all things. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the king of kings. He reigns. And so you think of yourself as standing there. You look at your circumstances. What's going on in, in the world around you, in the relationships around you? And remember, all of that is His domain. He reigns over that argument. He reigns over that, that marriage. He reigns over that roommate situation. He reigns over that job. He reigns over that situation, that decision that has been made. Our God reigns. By the power of his word, he reigns over the people that are making your circumstances so difficult. And immediately as I say that, there's someone who comes to mind. That means to say that he, that he reigns over your neighbor. He reigns over strangers. He reigns over enemies. Your enemies. He reigns over your roommates and over your spouses and over your classmates and over your teachers. He reigns. I'm letting you simmer over that for just a few minutes. Because where many of us will go when we hear that is, oh, good. That means that he'll allow me to get my way in that relationship. Because we know that's good. He will change my children. He will change my spouse. He will change my boss. But the fact is, our God reigns over me and over you. 
in each one of those relationships. He reigns over your folly. He reigns over your presumed wisdom. He reigns over your frailty. He reigns over your presumed strength. He reigns over your failures. As someone who is well accustomed with failures, I find that to be tremendously comforting. I give him much opportunity to display his reign. But he reigns even over your successes. He reigns over your infidelities. To him, to others, to yourself, to the world around you. He reigns even over your fidelity. This is exactly what Paul has in view when he writes to Timothy, the place was marked until just a moment ago. He says to, in Timothy that he, he writes to Timothy who is feeling intimidated. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then later he says this to Timothy who needs to be reminded his God reigns. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of King David, has preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, yet he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself because our God reigns. This brings to us great freedom. Now I am free to use the words of a dear friend. I am free to care less about that situation about that relationship because it's not about me it's about my God who reigns but it's not just that he reigns it's that God reigns your God reigns not Baal not the gods of Egypt not Syria, not Samaria, as King Ahaz thought. Not Assyria or, as, or its tyrannical leader Sennacherib, as King Hezekiah thought. Not Nebuchadnezzar, as Nebuchadnezzar himself thought, even though Daniel told him otherwise. Not Cyrus, as most Israel in exile thought, as they wept by the waters of Babylon. Not Alexander. Not Caesar. Not Rome. Not Pilate. Not the U.S. of A. Not democracy and freedom. Not a stable and growing economy. Not Republicans, Democrats, Independents, or their policies. Not ISIS. Not North Korea. Not UN or UM or eh, whatever his name is. Not pharmaceutical companies, not doctors, not educators or their ideas, not your boss or your company or their policies, not 
anything or anyone who may even be good, relatively speaking. But God, he reigns. Not you, not me. That brings an amazing amount of confidence as I walk into the challenges facing me each week and each day. Because it's him who controls this situation. It's him who controls this relationship. It's him who controls these deadlines. It's him. But not only is it your God who reigns, and not only is it your God who reigns, but it's your God. Your God reigns. Who is he speaking to here? He is speaking to Zion. He is speaking to Jerusalem, the holy city. Who are they? They are the objects of our Father's great delight. They are the chosen ones. They are the ones in whom he, he takes great delight to pour upon them, to set upon them his great love. You only have I known from among the nations. Does he mean that he wasn't familiar with all the other nations? No, it means that of, out of all of the nations, you are the ones upon whom and through whom I have placed my love. Exodus chapter 19, because I have a love for the nations. It is the Lord, verse 3. Thus says the Lord, the one who chose you, the one who set you apart, the one who rescued you, the one who delivered you, the one who sustained you, the one who defeated armies before you, who settled you and flourished you in the land. Your God reigns. Brothers and sisters, you have to understand, this is the story of the plagues. The story of the plagues is not for Egypt or for Pharaoh primarily, it's for his people. So his people would know, your God reigns. Little old Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's the one that is more powerful than the gods of the superpowers. He speaks and it happens. He speaks and the water turns to blood. He speaks and the gnats fly in from the east. He speaks and there are frogs everywhere. He speaks and the Red Sea dries up and they pass through on dry land. Little old Yahweh, greater than the God of the sun, greater than the God of fertility, greater than the God of the night, greater even than God in flesh, Pharaoh himself. Your God reigns. Brothers and sisters, that produces a great and lasting peace and comfort. In the present, look, look, verses 1 and 2. So awake now, awake now. Put on now strength, O Zion. Put on now your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself now from the dust and arise. Be seated now, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds now from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Why? 
for you shall be redeemed. Hmm. Do you notice the shift? Do now, do act now on the basis of what I will do in the future. This is the Old Testament call to faith. Act now, act today on the basis of what I will accomplish. Of course, the fact of the matter is that Israel has this whole history of God's faithfulness that they can look back to. But the logic here of 52 is act now on the basis of what I will do. The, the logic of New Testament call to faith is this. Act now on the basis of what I have done in the past. It's not, the good news is not your God reigned one day. Remember the glory days. The good news is not your God will reign one day. Hang in there. Hope you can make it to the end. The good news is, brothers and sisters in the 21st century Flintstone, Georgia, your God reigns here, now, present tense. Rejoice today for what I will do tomorrow. Rejoice today because of what I have done. The work accomplished yesterday, today, or tomorrow is important. But listen to me. Be careful. It's secondary. Why? Because the blessings of God's faithfulness are not the good news. The good news is who reigns. The work accomplished yesterday or tomorrow is important, but it's secondary. The main point of the good news is not what is or is not accomplished, but who accomplished it. Your God. Your God, who delights to call you by name, who sings over you, his beloved sons and daughters. He's the one who reigns. And so we read in verse 6, Therefore my people shall know my name, Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. When we know and worship and love and adore our God for who he is, then, brothers and sisters, we have peace, and we have confidence, and we have comfort to know that whatever he does, whenever he does it, whether we recognize it as good and wise or not, it's he who is doing it. Our God, who has called us by name and made us alive through Jesus Christ, who reigns supreme today.
And so the question is this. One writer said recently, the key theological question that faces us every day in every relationship, in every conversation, in every circumstance. Will we let God be God? On his terms? Or will we insist that he be God on our terms? Let's go to him in prayer. So, Father, we pray.